You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. Move is about the seven movements that we make as we follow Jesus. And so this is actually how we talk about discipleship. Discipleship is the lifelong process of following Jesus. Okay, we're actually all disciples of somebody. This word just means a student. Everybody, whether they know how to describe it or not, are following after somebody or something. They're a disciple of someone. So it's not whether we're going to be a disciple of Jesus or kind of nothing. We're going to be a disciple of Jesus or we're going to be a disciple of someone or something else. And so this series is seven parts, seven movements that we make as we follow Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is repenting and believing what we call the good news of Jesus. Repenting means literally to change your mind about something. So a disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus, is someone who is changing their mind ongoing and believing the message of Jesus. We'll talk about the message of Jesus today, but they're changing their mind and believing the message of Jesus. And then increasingly, that is more and more and more. This is not a one-time thing, but an ongoing process. Increasingly, and in spiritual family, which is community, other people who love and follow Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is changing their mind and believing the message of Jesus, and increasingly, and in spiritual family, making seven movements, moving from death to life, from brokenness to wholeness, from selfishness to love, from cynicism to faith, from apathy to mission, from scarcity to abundance, from striving to abiding. Today, we're going to talk about the movement from death to life. This is a movement that we're all invited to make. Whether we know nothing about Jesus still, or whether we follow Jesus for a long time, we're invited to make this movement. Discipleship is an active thing. It's changing the mind and believing, which results in an action and a change in life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What I want to invite you to do right now is get together with one or two other people, so a group of two or a group of three. Read it on your own for a moment. Look at it, and then turn to those people and have a little conversation uh, what are questions that come up for you? What do you think it says? Like, how would you put it into your own words? Or what do you think it means to you? 
So go ahead, take a moment. When you finish reading it, turn to those people and have a conversation about it. This is my paraphrase from the very beginning. You can kind of look on your, on your card as you want as we keep going. First, just recognize that this, it's addressed. It says, it says, you were, you were dead, right? But the, the picture here is that people, the Bible's kind of radical statement, is that people are dead. Human beings, living people, are actually dead in what it calls transgressions and sins. This used to be, this is what he's saying, this used to be our way of life, death and transgression and sin, used to be our way of life, which is the way of the world. It's actually the way the world works. It's the system of the world. And it's the way of the one who rules this way of life. It's an odd scripture, by the way. Really start looking at it. It's the way of life that we used to have was death and sin and transgression, which is not just the way I used to live, is the way of the system of the world, which is not just the way of the system of the world, it's the way of this one thing, this spirit, this ruler of the kingdom of the air. His way of life, too, is death and sin and transgression. He is a spirit, and he is actually working in people who are themselves in that way of life, death and sin and transgression. And those people then, me and you, we are not only have this spirit working in us, producing death, but we are then complicit in a system of death in the world, sin and transgression. This is the way that the Bible explains the state of the world. What's up with the world? What's wrong with the world? Is it uses these ideas, which we'll talk about sin and transgression, but the real point is death. That actually what we experience as life, what we call life, and although there's beauty in it, is actually tainted by the system of death. We know it because people die, but it's more than that. It's more than physical death. So what is sin? Sin literally means to miss the mark. So we were dead in our sin. If sin means to miss the mark, like I'm, uh, you probably know this if, if you've been around for a while, but to, to shoot a bow and arrow, and it says if you can't ever hit the target, that's sin. Sin is a condition. It's like a disease, an inability to do something, no matter what, a frustration. And so as you pull back, it's as if what he's saying is humanity is stuck in this cycle where they could never, if they tried their hardest, hit the bullseye of life. Death, what does death mean anyway as a, as a word? It's the lack of something. It's the lack of life. Death is absence. It's missing something. It's literally to be powerless, to have no power, no ability. It's the total and utter lack of ability. And this is the, at least this writer's explanation of what's wrong with the world. Is it's, something is wrong in people, but even more than that, it's not about individual people. It's about this condition called sin. The word transgression actually can even mean unintentional uh, sin. So it's, it's this super frustrating condition that even in my best try, I might transgress. I might step over the line. I might do something that I never even realize. And that is me. It's not about what I do. It's about the fact that I'm infected with this condition that he calls sin, which is death. Sin, but the way that we often think about sin is that sin is bad things that I do. Right? They're like, I did a sin, I committed a sin, I did a wrong. 
And that for sure is a way that we can think about it. But that sin, when I say that, I committed a sinful thing. Sins as actions are things that I do, thoughts that I think, beliefs I have, emotions that come up that are motivated by my heart, which are not love. Anything that, and it's all coming from my heart, your heart, anything that comes out of my heart that is not motivated first and foremost and completely and with nothing else other than love expresses itself out in what the Bible calls sin. The reason that is, it's because God is love. And sin is just everything that's motivated outside of God. I was made to have God's spirit in me. And so out of that would come love. When I'm doing something that doesn't come from love, it's not coming from God, which means it's coming from somewhere else, from a culture of death, a system of death, from what Paul calls this strange ruler of the kingdom of the air. By the way, if these are weird, Ephesians 2, there's multiple things we'll talk about in here that I find, hmm, I don't know if I'd say it like that. Paul, I'm not really comfortable with that. It's a bit like mystical and out there. Just, yeah, it's fine you read the Bible, but if I'm sitting with a friend of mine who doesn't know anything about this, am I going to say that? Well, it's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's what's going on here. But the more that I think about that, that's something that's just mystical, odd language, is that we are talking about God. You know, We can try to make it super palatable and simple uh, and kind of everyday-ish and like there's nothing really to see here. But this is God we're talking about. And so I would imagine that if it's actually God, that it's going to be a little different than what we're used to. So sin means to miss the mark. It means to, it means the actions that come from my heart that are not directed by love, which is missing the mark. The mark, the bullseye, is love. True love, actual love, self-sacrificing love. They are actions, words, thoughts, and beliefs that come from a heart that is dead and void of God. This is what we're talking about here. That human hearts, the human condition, our world is void of God in many ways. So those things that we do, they don't come from God. And our best attempts at life, my best try, if I'm separated from God, my best attempts are still considered sin. They're missing the mark, which is frustrating. This is what sin really means. This is what it feels like. This is what, if you don't even know these words and you think, what does this have to do with me? If you ever feel frustrated, you're feeling sin. You're feeling what it is. You were never made to be frustrated. That feeling or anxiety. These things come from this condition called sin. Sin is like a disease. It's better to think today, not about the actions that you do, because that's pretty simple. It's better to get this thing that sin is a disease that's covering the world and that's infected you too. So what it says is that we're dead, that people are dead. Remember what we're doing here, by the way, and some of this, if you've followed Jesus for a while, it might seem simple. What we're doing here is this is the seven movements that we make as we follow Jesus. This is the core movement, and you can never get away from it. And we have to wrestle with what it says, because Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10, is a way of talking about the core movement that we make. It's the message of Jesus. It's part of the message of Jesus. And the very center of the message of Jesus is this message that people are invited to come out of death and come into life. And it has everything to do with this idea about sin, whether we've heard it before and whether it's been misunderstood before. It has everything to do with it. So people, we are dead. So everyone, uh, outside of how you are today, and forget about Jesus for a minute, we're all dead. So what is the one thing that if a dead person could want to do, 
That's like a, that's like a rhyme, right? What's the one thing that if a dead person could wish to do something, what would they want to do? They'd want to live like a zombie, you know. We won't get into that. The one thing that a dead person wants to do is live, but it's the one pursuit that would leave that dead person frustrated again and again and again, eternally, forever. The one thing that people want to do is truly live. And the Bible says this is why that life is frustrating, is because people don't realize that there's actually a death going on that shouldn't be there. It's not natural. There's death, and that all people really yearn for, what they long for, what they want is to really live and that they can't. And that is sin, that is transgression, that is death. So what is it? I mean, what does it look like, though? I and mean, besides frustration, what does sin look like in the world? How do you know when you see it, if you know any of these things? Sin is consumerism. It is wanting, filling, it is not being able to be satiated with things. It's chasing after objects, consumerism, and it's lust. Same thing, just a little different. It's being judgmental, and it's harming another person. You realize this for a second. Jesus, God is not death. Death doesn't exist in God in any form, in any way. You can work out what that means. But death, God has nothing to do with death ever. So what would it mean that death is always sin? It's always the product of sin. It's not supposed to exist in any form, anywhere. And this is why it's hard. This is why it feels difficult. This is why it's unnatural. This is why it's frustrating. Because death, wherever you see it, whether it's from the natural causes at the end of a life, or it's, it's through a war, or it's through a murder, or it's through anything, any form of death is not from God. Sin is being judgmental, and it's harming another person. It's jealousy, and it's damaging the environment. These are anything that is degradation, anything that is putting the end of something, that is draining something of life, is sin. It's cursing another person, and it's racism. It's hate. It's forgetting elderly people. It's disrespecting parents and exploiting someone for your own gain. It's ignoring suffering, and it's stealing something. It's... It's ignoring the plight of those who have need and its addiction, however it shows itself in our life. That's just the surface of sin. Sin is a condition, a disease of death, that when it comes through a human heart, it expresses itself in different ways. And then we begin judging people and each other for whatever their deal is. But sin just expresses itself in different ways through different people. So, this is, death is not really the message. So, so from death to life, this is the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is, and hopefully I'll be able to express it a little bit, but it's vast and broad, but at the center of it, you can't let go of this thing that an individual human life is invited to move from death to life. I don't think death is actually news to anybody. Um, in the last number of years in North America, the concepts of sin and transgression, if we even use that word, these are, uh, for, especially for people who grew up in a Christian culture who aren't that interested in church culture anymore, these words are not exactly palatable or meaningful or, you know, we'd be better off without them. And, and for many reasons that might be good. They've been misused and misunderstood and just directed at people. Uh, by the way, the, the, the point of the passage is that, which is pretty radical, what does it say at the very beginning? As for you, you were dead. What it means, read between the lines, is that everyone 
is dead or was dead. And who is he talking to? He's talking to Jewish people who have started to follow Jesus. So they had a religion. They were religious people. They would have said, yes, I have a religion. And he's talking to Gentiles, which may have been religious, but by all means, they were probably like polytheists. They had many, many gods, and they were, but would probably be considered today a very odd religion because they wouldn't look necessarily moral or uh, chase after doing things right, though they did worship gods. So he's talking to religious people, and he's talking to people who would be considered kind of not religious today. And he's talking to both of them, and he's saying, you were dead. What he's saying is everybody. It doesn't matter what religion you come from or philosophy you have. This is not about a religion. It's about a condition. Religion is our best attempt to try to get out of the condition. Some of us are tired of religion, and so we find other attempts to get out of the condition. We have other hopes, other dreams, other ways of salvation, which we'll talk about. But we're all in the same condition. This is a, this is a very equalizing message. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you know, what you don't know, what you've done, what you've not done. We're all dead. It's actually kind of like, oh, cool. I don't have to work so hard. I'm just like everyone else, dead. But I don't think it's really a news the message of Jesus, I hope you can try to get this part, is not, yes, it includes this part, but it's not really about this. This is not really news to people, I don't think. You might not use the word sin. You might not have ever heard that. You might, and I, by the way, if I'm talking to a friend of mine, this is, if, if you follow Jesus today, and we'll talk about this, you are tasked with the, with the opportunity to invite people to move from death to life. And so I don't think that I need to help people believe that there is sin. I think you probably just don't use the word. And it doesn't really matter if it's kind of like, a, you know, yesterday was the science march here, the march for science, you know about that? And, uh, and there, I saw a poster that was, was like, the great thing about science is it doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. It just is. Just, there's nothing to believe in. It just exists. It is what it is. And it's the same thing with sin. Uh, it, it's really obvious. We just call it whatever you want. But something's wrong. Everyone would agree to that at some point. The part that's difficult is that something's wrong in the human heart, in my heart, in your heart, and it doesn't matter. No one's better than anyone else. Some of us have been able to control that more, which is not a bad thing. We should try to suppress that urge to kill, for example. That's a good thing. But at, at the core, we're all dead. The message is the same. By the way, this is the only way the, the, the early Christian writings tell us, Jesus says, to love our enemies. I think the only way that's possible is if you have this deep experience that you too are an enemy, that you too are dead. Yes, it's hard to love people sometimes because of the specific things they have done to you or to me. But if I have, a, at, my, at the depth of who I am, I have this understanding that although the good I've done, all that I've done separated from God is death. And that might seem like this bad thing, in the end what it produces is compassion. How do I have compassion for a victim and a perpetrator unless I understand that I too am a perpetrator? But if I don't think I am, it's going to be super hard to love. So it doesn't matter if we believe in sin. Sin is what it is. It's a condition in the world, and it doesn't even need a good, exp a good kind of proving. You're going to die. It is what it is. It's everywhere. It's inside of us. And we can't solve it. And we can't do away with it. The way that it expresses it just after this in verse 3. What's that look like? 
What's it look like? What's it feel like for a person to be trapped in this then? If that's what's really going on, to be trapped in sin. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So it's not as simple as it's just like, I sin. It's complicated. I am, first of all, there's this thing, and this helps with compassion too. There's this spirit working in me to cause evil, selfishness. I am guilty of what I do, and so is anyone else for what they've done. But it's not as simple as humans are just terrible people and they do terrible things. No, the story of the Bible is that human beings are inherently good, not bad. They're inherently good, but have this disease and condition that forces them, that lures them in to commit things that they, in their heart as it was made, would never want. By the way, this doesn't have to look like killing somebody. It can look like just being selfish. It all comes from the same place. It all comes from the same dead heart. So what does it look like? Is It means that people are actually living gratifying the cravings of what he calls flesh. The flesh is the part of me that is dead. So when I think of me, like, who am I? There is a part of me at my core that was made by God and that is beautiful and good and true, and that is my true identity. But that is shut off. It's shut down. It doesn't work apart from Jesus. What does work, sadly, is this idea called the flesh, which is all of me separated from God, void of God. And me, void of God, is dead, and dead ends up acting in ways that produce more death. So what I'm actually doing, although it says, I'm free, I don't want anything to do with God, I'm free. Well, the message of the scripture is that I'm not free. I think I'm free, and I think I'm free to do and rebel and do whatever I want, but actually what's happening is I have this thing called the flesh that's hungry, it's like an addict, and it wants to be fed. And I end up feeding it, and feeding it, and feeding it, and I'm controlled by it. I'm not really free. Death is, this, this idea of death is that people are, are, are hooked up to this thing called the flesh within them and that they have to feed it. They have to find a way to feed it. Even if they didn't want to, they will. And you feel this at some point when you realize, I didn't want to blow up at the person. Something in me didn't want to do that, but I keep doing it. And I keep doing it. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to do that thing. But I, it's like I have to at some point. It's different for everybody, whatever that thing is, but that's the flesh. The flesh is strong and it craves things and we end up feeding it. So what about this part? I don't know about you. I don't know what you talked about in your group, but this is where I land. Like the rest of us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What do you think about that? Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, what Paul's saying is that we who follow Jesus, we're at one time deserving of wrath like people who don't. And uh, I think this is one of the reasons why that we would distance ourselves from this idea. Because that doesn't sound like a good message. <laughs> doesn't sound like good news. Even the way that we can spin it to say that the God wanted to take out his wrath on me because he's so angry at me. The good news is he took it out on Jesus instead. Now he's not mad at me anymore. This is a shadow of the real picture, the real truth. It's not completely untrue, but it's not true. True. Does that make sense? So what's going on? God is, has this idea throughout the scriptures, which cannot be hidden from, that God has this thing called wrath. 
and his wrath is, is, is like his anger. And in the, especially in the beginning of the Bible, in the first, in the first books, his wrath is, is um, imagined as fire. If you ever think of those pictures, that God was like fire and he's burning people up. Uh, number one, well, how, what does that have to do with the God of love? And, and this is where we have to stop for a second to read this passage and say, what is God like? And the only time the Bible ever describes God concretely, specifically, clearly, is that God is love. Or that God is light. In him is no darkness. That God is love, love itself. So what does a God of love have to do with this terrible thing called wrath? Within the, the story of within the story of the Bible and even here, God's wrath is directed at something. But it's not people. If you look at the larger story, God's wrath is directed at sin and death. For instance, if God's wrath were just directed at people, then God would have just let his wrath out right away in the beginning of the story when people begin to mistrust him. If his wrath was, was directed toward p- individual people who misbehaved, well, he could have done it a long time ago. But God's wrath is against that which corrupts that which he loves. You see? It's like, and, and we get this. In fact, I don't think actually, just like sin, I don't think that we have a problem with wrath once we really get down to it. We just think we do. Because we're tired of the words. Or it sounds better. It's been used incorrectly. But, if somebody was harming someone you loved, even, I would say, which is where I lean, even as a pacifist, if somebody in the moment is, is abusing somebody that you love, wrath will come, probably, or you'll wish that wrath would have came to, f- to, to destroy that which was destroying what you loved. And this is God. God is principally, what we do know for sure, is that God is a father. That's how he would like to be seen. That's how he sees he is. He's a father who created every person in the world and loves them dearly and is brokenhearted about humanity. And he's angry about sin. And he hates death. He hates it. The problem is, what if it's true? What if it is true that sin and death is inside me? Now I have a problem. God has a problem, too. Now God's wrath is directed at sin and death, which is inside of me. I'm complicit in the whole system. All the problems in the world, I'm complicit in them in one way or another. And I'm for sure guilty of my own, of my own heart. So what does God, who is a father who loves, who wants within him to destroy all that corrupts the world, all that destroys it, what does he do when his own people, when his own children, everyone, is complicit in it. This is what he says, that like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I, I said it was like fire. You know what fire actually means? Fire is not like punishment. Fire is a purifying force in the Bible. This is how it's used. It, in, script, in, in certain scriptures, God's, God's wrath is like fire. And Almost every other time it's used, it purifies something that's precious. So if you have like a precious stone that is, that is hidden by impurities, they'll throw it into the fire, into the crucible, and out comes the precious stone. Fire is a good thing. 
Fire is going to take away the impurity. It's going to heal the brokenness. It's going to take it so that it's going to show you the beautiful thing. So if God's wrath is like fire, then what does God's wrath want to do is it wants to purify. God's not trying to destroy human beings. He's trying to purify human beings. Which, again, sounds like bad news if you think that you don't have a problem. But if you think that, no, the world does have an issue, God or, like God being the, the answer or not, the world does have a problem, I have a problem. And if I understood that the depth of my problem is actually like a cancer, it's actually something that's inside me that's destroying me from the inside out, and that God had the ability to heal that, I would want that. I would want that for the world. This is God's wrath. So if I'm deserving of wrath, I'm deserving of, of, I'm deserving of it because it's directed at sin and death and I'm complicit in the system that should be destroyed. Who doesn't want to destroy death? You know? Who do, and, and, like when you really get down to it, you want to destroy sin. You want to destroy death. We just don't want to be destroyed with it. Verse four. This is the message. So what I'm saying is death and wrath, I don't think it's really the message. I think it's obvious whether we use those words or not. And I think everybody to one degree or another will agree. Maybe they haven't come to the point, maybe you haven't come to the point where you can see that you're complicit in it. By the way, if you care at all about justice or injustice, then you have to at some point wrestle with the fact that you, your heart, your life has not been just. It too has been unjust. And it doesn't excuse what other people have done but it also means that you're complicit in it. So this is all the stuff in the Bible about judging. This is why if you would like to judge somebody, then at some point you must also welcome yourself up to the stand. (laughs) Whether you've done the same things or not, you too should be judged, I guess, then. The message is this. This is the part that's news. Verse four, but God. Okay, this is our message. So whenever you encounter someone with suffering, whenever you encounter injustice, whenever you encounter your own sin, whenever you encounter brokenness, the message of the gospel, the reason it's good news is because that's a given. Death and suffering is a given. I'm not trying to convince you that it exists. It is what it is, whether you want to see it or not. The news is this, but God, and I love what he does here. He doesn't just say, but God, he does, but comma, phrase, God, comma, phrase. So what's he trying to say? He, like, he can't not explain who God is, but, no comma, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Part of the problem is, this is why it's news, is that we don't know who God is. People don't know who God is because all my experience deep down inside at some point or another has been death. So it's really hard to trust God. It's really hard to know God. It's really hard to be close to God. And so the news is this, but because of his great love, this is what God is actually like. Now he doesn't say, but because of his great wrath, but because of his great anger or his great purity, he says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. It's like he just needs to say it again, because he could just say, but because of his great love for us, God made us alive who is rich in mercy. This is what God is like. He has great love, and what does God own? He's, he's rich in mercy. 
So is God wrath? Yes, but even his wrath comes from his love. His wrath is motivated by love. His love is to purify and to kill all that that kills others. And so he's going to do it because he loves, because he's rich in mercy. Well, what's that mean? It means that mercy wants to let people off the hook. It's like unjust. They want to let people off the hook. You didn't do, I'm going to not give you what you deserve. So even though I'm complicit in the system, even though sin and death lives inside of me, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. I wish I had two more hours. This is the point, is that, is that even, this is the radical message that, that I don't even know if we fully in touch with. Even while I was dead, even when I was cut off from God and loved death, okay, this is the message. God made me alive again because he loved me and was rich in mercy. And, and imagine, like, look how it says it. It's, it's as if he made me alive when I didn't even know. Before I said, oh God, I love you, and Jesus, I want to follow you. It was before that. Before, however that works. Before that, even when I was God's enemy, another scripture, Jesus died for me. Even when I was transgressing and wanted that, God made me alive. Even when I wanted to live in death, I was living in death. I was following this way of life. God raised me up. The issue is, do I recognize it? And do I want that? Do I want to accept that it's true? This is why the gospel has nothing to do with what you do, which is the whole second part of this passage. It has nothing to do with good things you do or bad things you do. It has to do with changing your mind, believing. It's very simple and very difficult. All you're invited to do is to say, that's true of me. It's hard because we have to let go of a lot of things. But to say, when Jesus died, when he raised to life, he raised me too. Well, why? Because he offers it to you right now. Because it's for you. You can have it. It's just whether you want it or not. It's a free gift to anyone. This is why it's news. This is beautiful and this is what we have to give, by the way. No matter what you're going through, or where you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, or what you've not done, from the victim to the perpetrator, I have a message. And the message is, even in your death, even when you're far from God, even now, God raised you to new life with Jesus. Will you come to him? That's good news. I mean, believe it or not, want it or not, it's pretty good news. I'm not saying anything about what you have to do, and I'm not saying anything about what you have done or haven't done, or what, even what you will have to do in the future, because that's not my job. That's what's called the other spirit's job. In this text, there's a spirit, the spirit of the air, the spirit of death, who's at work in you, producing evil. And producing evil in the world, by the way, is actually kind of comforting. All the evil we see in the world today, it's not just that some people are awful people, although that's the case. But this is some people's total view of the world. There's good people and bad people. That's not a very compelling picture of the world. And it doesn't really work. Because there's, what is justice? Where is the line? When do I become bad? <laughs> when do I become good? And that's how most people today will separate the world, whatever words they use. They know nothing else but to say at some point, there's obviously evil people, for sure. And there's obviously people that aren't so evil, for sure. So what? <laughs> so how are you going to fix the problem? Because nothing we do seems to work. But instead, the truth is, we're all dead. But God, who is loving and rich in mercy, freed us from that. 
is offered us a free gift of life again, if we will accept it. And then what happens after? The other six movements that we'll talk about. What happens after? How do you live that out? Even then, it's not up to you. You're called to do it, but you're given a new spirit who's at work in you, very end, who God created you in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. It's pretty good news. It's like, let go. Life's going to get better, not easier, better. Let me try to wrap this up here and skip a bunch of stuff. Sum it up. How did, how did God exactly make you alive? How did he make me alive? How is he making someone alive? So if, if you follow Jesus today, it's for you. And I want you to think, how can I offer this to somebody? How does God make us alive? What does Jesus have to do with this? What is the cross? What is all this? On the cross, the scriptures say that Jesus became sin. He became sin. He took on death. He himself, like personified, as all the evil and sin and death in the world. And he crucified that to the cross. And if the wrath of God was involved, the wrath of God came against all sin, which it did. Which did what? Killed it. Conquered it. Was done with it. it. I mean, this is the beautiful thing, is what he's saying is, in eternity right now, however it works, it doesn't exist anymore. Death does not exist anymore. Sin does not exist anymore. Evil does not exist anymore, which is why we have hope. Because no matter how bad things look, the message is not things are going to get worse. The message is things are going to get better because God's fixing everything. He's starting with my heart, too. He's fixing my heart. He's fixing my life. He's fixing the world. He will fix the world, which is why I can, we can speak truth to power or speak against evil. Is because there is actually an answer, and it will be done, and it's not all on my shoulders. So Jesus on the cross is actually saying, I'll take all the disease, if I can say it like this, and God's wrath is like chemotherapy or radiation, which directed at me would kill me. Maybe it'd kill the cancer, but it'd kill me too. Directed at Jesus, Jesus conquers it. He overcomes it. He leaves death, the radiation kills death, and Jesus comes alive again. So he says this, follow me, which is this. In baptism, baptism is a picture of death to life. So how do we take this step of moving from death to life? We can accept it, and I'll tell you how in just a second, and we can be baptized. This is Mang being baptized recently. I'm using it without permission, and he is not here, is he? Um, In baptism, you know, Mang there goes under the water, which is death. The water is death, it's drowning, okay? And what it's saying, it's a picture of I want, like basically it's saying, the scripture's saying, I am dead. So it's good to die to myself because dying to myself means I'm dying to death. I'm dying to the death way of life. I go under the water and die and I rise up with Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. This is how it works. This is how it does something. Jesus conquered sin and death. In Jesus, if you were to live in Jesus, follow him, sin does not exist anymore. Death does not exist anymore. Injustice does not exist anymore. And so if I am, the message is, to die to myself in the water and to rise up in Jesus, this is why it says, I'm a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Behold, look, I'm actually sinless. It's a radical message. Too good to be true, seemingly. That's baptism. If you'd like to be baptized, you can check the card, and I'll tell you what it means in a second. But on our card, this is always an option to say, I want to take that movement. I want to take the first movement. I want to take the first step. 
I want to follow Jesus. I want to die to death. I want to die to myself. I want that. I want life. I want forgiveness. I want to be freed from it. The first step, not the end, is the beginning, but this is baptism is the way I say I'm taking this step. For those of us who follow Jesus already, who have been baptized, this is a daily movement. This is not a one-time movement. This is a daily movement because I still have this thing called flesh. This is the in-between. This is, God is, this is why it's all about changing the mind. God is saying it's not true about me. It's not true about me. I don't hate. I don't judge. It's not true about me. But in my experience, I do. What's up with that? It's that my flesh, this old part of me, I carry around with me, still craves death, still craves harm, still craves self-centeredness, still craves self-preservation, still wants to protect myself, pump myself up. This old part, it's death. And the way that I'm actually able to overcome that is to once again die to it. To put to death what is truly dead and to rise again with Jesus. And the thing is, which we'll talk about next week, moving from brokenness to wholeness, is there are parts of my life that I have held out of the water. There's a, there's a, there's a famous, infamous little like, cartoon that people use often where it's like when they're being baptized, they hold their, their wallet out of the water, you know? And it's like, what it means is, I don't want this to die. My control over my resources. Usually it's like a ploy, so you give money to the church. That's what they're talking about. But, but there's a truth in it. Now, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to die to my life. But there's certain parts of my life that I don't want to die to. Control being the big one. But there are, for sure, things in my life that as I was baptized, I didn't put under the water. And over time, God, the spirit in me, who's working within me to produce good now, not me doing it, producing good in me, ends up realizing there are something in my life that I never gave. This is why I'm anxious about it, by the way. (laughs) This is why I'm anxious about money. I'm anxious about money because it's not how it's supposed to be. I was supposed to kill it in the water and raise it up in Jesus. What's that mean? God is a God of abundance. He owns everything. It's all his. I'm just a steward. There's more where it came from. I can spend it and I can be content and I can give it away and I can, I can have much and be content and I can have little and be content and it's no difference to my heart because it's God's anyway. I'm not controlling it. This is, I'll talk about that later. But there's things in our lives that we did not baptize and this is the movement from death to life, from death to life, from death to life. Everything else we'll talk about is death to life. Give it away. Give it to him. Kill it. Let it be done. Also, it's not just for you, but it's for other people. And I think often we go through times in which we don't think the message is good news. The message itself is good news. The way you understand the message might not be good news. And the message that you're carrying around called the gospel might not be good news. The message itself is actually good news. And there's, there's power in it. In, in the scriptures, again and again, the, the, it's like even like the idea of miracles, even the idea of signs and wonders of God doing amazing things. All those things, do you know what they're for? They're supposed to back up the thing with power, which is the message. And if we actually understood that the message is good news, the message is not this, like, hey Ben, I know that you believe differently. It's all about beliefs, you know. I know that you have like this philosophy and it's bad. And I've got one here for you. And if you just check the box, we have boxes. You just check that box there, it's all good. God's not going to punish you anymore. 
And, but make sure you believe the right things. See, it's half truth. There's certainly parts of what I said that are somewhat true. It's half truth. And I say, I don't really want to talk to Ben about that because it's super awkward. Let Ben do his thing. It's awkward. Well, it's because it's not good news. But if in, Ben comes to me and says, I just can't do it anymore, which is fine to wait for someone, by the way. I just need help. I say, I've experienced that too. It's called sin and death. I mean, God can free you from sin and death. In fact, he did. In fact, he loves you already. In fact, if you just receive what he has for you, say yes to Jesus. It's really as simple as that. Come to him. He'll help you. He'll forgive you. He'll free you from it. You don't have to live that way. Oh, man, that's good news. It could be good news. It could be exactly what the person needs. In fact, it is exactly what the person needs. It's exactly what I need. If it is really what you need, then it's the person next to you. But it's not something other than that. It's not, you've, you've been a Buddhist, and Buddhism is wrong, and Christianity is right. It's not even that. Do you realize that? Because what I mean by that, behind that, is that I have a religion, counter to your religion, and mine's right, and yours is wrong. And this is why people have trouble with Christianity. It's like, well, that's, that doesn't feel like love. Well, that's because it's not. You've been a Buddhist all your life, that's great, and I hope it's helped you. It's all dead. Not as in, you're wrong, there's probably truth in it. Human beings are made by God and the things they come up with are often from God and true. But it's just less than life. I'm not inviting you to a new religion. I'm inviting you to a relationship with where your religion points to. Whether it's called Christianity and many Christians need to come to the end of Christianity and begin to follow Jesus. Which will make you a loving person. Which will make you not judgmental. Because you're dead too. You were dead. So keep the story close to you. This is what you have. I mean, everybody, it's what you have. Even in the scriptures, how beautiful are the feet of the person who brings good news. How beautiful it is when it's really good news. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be afraid of it. It's all you have. Like, it's honestly all we have, a holistic transformation. Well, how's that going to happen? We can work for transformation, but things don't become transformed unless they go from death to life. You have to speak the message. It's good news. It's not bad. We're just going to end here. Uh, you guys can come up. Rob and Elodie. How do we make the movement? How do we take the movement? How do we make it really simple? If you're here and you think, I, you were here last week or you're here this week, and you say, I want to follow Jesus. I want that. The message, although I've talked for 40 minutes or whatever, and it can seem complicated, is in the end really simple. Romans, which is another letter in the Bible, chapter 10, verse 9 says this, if you declare with your mouth, if you say with your mouth, these words, it's so kind of silly, simple. Jesus is Lord. If you say that and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, it says you will be saved. So again, if that's not where you're at yet, that's fine. But if you say, I want that, what, what do I have to do what, what kind of thing do I have to do? Where do I have to go? Do I have to dunk in that weird swimming pool thing? What do I have to do? Well, what you only thing you have to do is to accept a gift that's being offered to you and to me too. How do I accept the gift? Is he says, it's simple. Just do this. Just say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, which means Jesus is God. Jesus is King. I'm not. Caesar is not. Trump is not. 
The economy is not. My past is not. My future is not. Cancer is not. Nothing else is God other than Jesus. That's all it means. Okay. And believe in my heart, which is easier than believing in your head, kind of. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. The reason, and I think it's comforting to me that it says believe in your heart, is not that it's not intellectual. Jesus rose from the dead. And you can understand that and believe that, and there's lots of evidence for that. To believe in my heart means to accept it, even in the midst of questions. To believe in my heart says I accept that. And in fact, at my depth, I don't need to explain it. Even the people that saw Jesus rise from the dead, they don't need to explain it. How do you explain it? So he just rose from the dead. You, you put your finger in his wound in his side. How do you explain it? It just is what it is. To believe in your heart means to just say yes from someplace inside of you, even in the midst of questions. Yes, he, he did. He rose for me. I believe that because not believing it is death. And there's something good about it. There's something beautiful about it. There's something that the world needs about it. And so to do that, what you can do is you can take a moment. I don't even need to pray. You can just say to yourself. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your mind. You can say, Jesus is Lord. And by the way, that's just for everyone. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart. Yeah. I still, in the midst of my questions that I have, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. And that's for me too. And you know what he says? If you do that, boom, you're saved. This word saved, I got a bad rap too. I don't even like it. But we're all looking for salvation. Everybody does want to be saved. My salvation may be that I need, I'm looking. Everybody knows this, by the way, everyone. My salvation might be my sports team, which is why it hurts so bad. I'm told that there's a sports team of some sort around here. I can actually see it out my, out my window in my living room. The temple, the tabernacle. And that's why it hurts, because I'm looking for salvation as something. I need something to win, because I don't feel like I am. Or I need, I need work, I need a promotion, I need it. And why do I need it? I need a relationship, I need it. It's actually salvation. Because without it, it's just death. We all know it kind of to some degree or another, that my life is just death, just like that. That's a perfect picture. It's frustrating. And so to say, Jesus is Lord, to say, I do need to be saved, is not to say, I need to be saved, and it's weird to tell someone else they need to be saved. We're all looking to be saved. We're all looking for something. The question is, is it working? And does it really save? So we need to be saved, and you can be saved, and I can be saved. And how do we do that? We accept who Jesus is. We accept his message. Jesus, you are Lord, and I believe that you rose from the dead. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org.